to Pastor's Prophecy Hour, your midweek installment of the Greater Life Church podcast. I'm Landon, and I'm here with Pastor Andrew to talk about this next episode. Pastor Andrew, what are we going to be talking about in this episode? Well, I think the first thing that I want everyone to pay attention to is sometimes we put our hope in the wrong thing. As followers of Jesus, and even people that lean into prophecy, and I'm one of those. We really look for whatever's happening in the modern day to answer all the questions of prophecy, and I'll start with some of that. Mm, Some things not to look for. Are there things we should be looking for? So I believe the episode here, I'm gonna go through some different reasons that are really, as the follower of Jesus, are reasons to look up and to expect him to come quickly. We believe in the imminent return of Christ, which means he can come at any time. There's nothing that has to happen, pre-tribulation rapture. There's a significant date in Israel's history. We're gonna look at that and line it up. We're actually in that time period right now. And uh, then we've got this Jubilee year that has some connections. Interesting. Well, let's get into it. All right, thanks, Liam. Tonight's topic, the title of our discussion, Reasons to Keep Watch. Reasons to Keep Watch. I can tell you that the follower of Jesus, the believer, must keep watch. It really isn't a time for us to grow lazy in our study and in our understanding. Paul says that we need to be ready to give an answer. Amen? We need to be ready because we need to be keeping watch. When people are wondering what is going on in the world, you and I should be the voice of faith, of peace, and of hope in the world today. People are overwhelmed with bad news. We have the gospel. You know what the gospel means? Good news. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. No, I'm just kidding. We'll go to reasons to keep watch. You ready? Whew. Let me first start with maybe stepping on some toes. <laughs> Let me remind you. Uh, we make an assumption here on uh, Pastor's Prophecy Hour that, that if you're leaning in and you're listening and you're in this study, then the assumption is that you have a relationship with Jesus. Of course, we don't want to assume that if you don't. And so if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, then what I believe will happen is by the end of tonight, you're going to be scared and you're going to come see me because we do not talk about these things in fear because we do have hope in Jesus. Amen. And anybody that doesn't, this is scary stuff. Reasons to keep watch. As a follower of Jesus, we are to have a posture and a mentality that is kingdom related, not nationalist, not a political party or an ideology. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not an ideology. It is a conviction. It is a know that I know. How many of you guys know that there's ideologies out there and people's ideologies and opinions change? But if your opinion about God is changing, then you got it wrong. He don't change, and our opinions 
should be steadfast as well. We know that our country is divided. To acknowledge the elephant in the room of this past week, the FBI raiding the home of an ex-president who is even a likely presidential candidate. Donald Trump, in the early morning hours, the FBI raided his home, and it was enough to get anyone flustered, no matter what side of the aisle you may find yourself on. Because if it can happen to him, then it can happen to any other. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what your political leanings are, this is a troubling time in our nation. For discussion tonight, let me remind you what Jesus talked about. He talked about God 376 times. He talked about heaven 273 times. He talked about hell 172 times. He talked about prayer 116 times, and he talked about money 37 times. Do you know how many times he talks about government? <laughs> when we take the Gospels as a whole, we find that he mentions loosely government a total of seven times. And in almost every context, it's that one passage that we say, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, give unto God what is God's. So he really is not talking about government, he is talking about taxes. You, you with me? And what he is saying is, that's your government, that's not why I'm here. I'm here for kingdom. You with me? So the reminder tonight is simply this. Over the years, I have listened to a lot of teaching and a lot of podcasts and a lot of CDs. You may remember those. <laughs> I remember having a disc man and having it in my car, and it was a beautiful thing of technology because it was anti-skip. And I would lay it there, and it would not skip unless you hit any kind of bump at any time, and then it would skip. Anybody else that old? I remember having a tape deck in my dash that had a handle on it that I could pull out and carry with me in the mall. <laughs> How stupid. <laughs> I did it once. <laughs> I, I, I say all that to say I remember listening to these teachings and I remember listening to tapes and CDs and, and, and preachers that get into prophecy. But, but sometimes we must acknowledge that it's been relevant, and sometimes it's completely missed the mark. And wherever you find yourself in history, the quote-unquote prophets of the day attach a lot of the prophecy to the modern era, right? I remember growing up and being a teenager and learning that all of our hope was in a guy named Ronald Reagan. Now, it certainly helped in some ways. I remember the mortgage rates went down and my parents were, who were renters were finally able to buy a home. I remember the prophets and the prophecies today that so many are attached to Donald Trump. But if you recall, it wasn't that long ago that many of the prophecies were attached to another man named Barack Obama. And before that, who was it? And before that, who was it? And before that, who was it? Right? And we can take this timeline all the way back to Acts. Now, is it applicable? Is it legit? We can look back on the timeline.
of prophecy and say, yes, that leader did this. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar did that. Yes, Nero did this. We, they, all, they all apply. It all works. But you know what hasn't changed? God's still in charge. So, so I think for us, it's kind of like, I don't want to be specific to the time as much as I want to be more specific to the scriptures. The book of Revelation does not call names. It doesn't say Antichrist named this. It doesn't say Mark of the Man named that. It doesn't say this nation. Now, in some contexts, it does. But by and large, there's only one nation, if I can remind you, that matters. And it's Israel. And we ain't it. No matter what you've been listening to, we are not Israel. We are not the new Israel. We are not the ones to which all the promises of God are now attached to because this person came here and that person was the We are not Israel. We do not believe in replacement theology here at Greater Life Church. We do believe that the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And there are promises that have been extended to Israel and by default to believers in the church. However... It's a dangerous game we play to begin to pretend that while the United States is one of the greatest nations in history, I believe, and God has used us in incredible ways to reach the lost, we by far have had the greatest evangelistic impact in the world by sending missionary and funding ministries, and we still do. And we still have God's blessing, I believe, because we still bless the only nation that matters. But there's no guarantee that tomorrow that will still be the case. So does God give now words for the church? Yes. I was listening to a guy uh, on the way in. I was walking up and uh, David and Billy were walking up and I was listening to a prophecy that came up on my feed and, and it was Kim Clement and, and I was listening and he was saying, the Lord says and the Lord says and the Lord says and, and he was saying all these things and talking about oil and women and, 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 and all of these things, healing to the nations and I thought to myself, oh, he's speaking of the church because the church is the bride of Christ and brings healing to the nations. And, but what we do is try to attach that to a person that we saw on the news the day before. You with me? So from this pastor, can I just remind you that sometimes it's bigger than that? Sometimes it is about the person, but if you've attached your hope to a person, then you've detached it from God. I have hope in people. I vote. I believed in the best and for, for our nation and our community. And, and, and how many of you guys, when's the last time you voted for the school board candidate? Nobody? <laughs> I got a couple. <laughs> so, yeah, I got some. I didn't, but I should have. But at the end of the day, we are to be engaged. This is not the stance of the Jehovah's Witness that says we are completely disengaged from the world because it doesn't matter. It does matter. But let's not get lost in the modernity of what's happening today. Let's not forget that the imminent return of Christ can be a reality tomorrow. I, I don't care which candidate or which place or which person you like the best. Given the option, Jesus will come back tomorrow or you want to wait a few more years for somebody else to be in power. Which one are you going to pick? 
Jesus, come on back. I want you to be president, king, and everything in between. That's a quote. That's tweetable. The return of Christ is imminent, and it's real. And what God said he would do, he will do. Amen? Reasons to keep watch. I've got uh, a few little pieces of paper here. The responsibility of the believer is to keep watch, to be vigilant. So there's a calendar issue I'd like for you to discuss. Miri sent me an email that lays out the 9th of Av. I'm saying that right? The 9th of Av, it's a date. Now, I was reading up on it, and I was hearing actually some Jewish scholars that were sharing some things about it. And here's, quote, what, what a rabbi said. Uh, admittingly, the Hebrew calendar is a wreck. There's different versions of different things and different all of the things. So we can't, in this context, nail it down to a day, but we can nail it down to a time. Uh, let's say, what are we in? August? But the reason why this day is important is there's a lot of Israeli, Jewish, Hebrew dates that go with it. Here it goes. On the ninth of Ah, the 12 spies came back to Moses with the negative report about the Nephilim in the promised land. In 586 BC, the destruction of the first temple happened on this day. 70 AD, same day, destruction of the second temple. Same day, the destruction of the Betar leading to death of 600,000 Jews in 135 AD. 136 AD, plowing of the Temple Mount by the Romans. 1096 AD, the first crusade commenced killing 10,000 Jews. 1290, Jews were expelled from England. 1306, Jews expelled from Spain. 1492, Jews were expelled, uh, I'm sorry, 1308 was France. 1492, they were expelled from Spain. 1914, World War II broke out. Germany declared war on Russia, in which historians agree directly led to the Holocaust. 1941, same day, Himmler got formal approval from the Nazis to proceed with the final solution, which was killing a third of all living Jews. 1942, the first mass deportation of Jews from Warsaw Ghetto. 1994, deadly bombing of the Jewish Community Center in Buenos Aires, Argentina. 2005, Israeli disengagement from Gaza, where 8,000 Jews were forcibly removed from their homes. There is a chain, there is a link, there is a history around this date. Why is that important to us? It's important to us because this is a reason to keep watch. So what is happening in Israel right now? I saw a, a video uh, that there was, once again, dozens upon dozens of rockets fired from Gaza, and the Iron Dome in Israel did its job and shot them all down. At the end of the day, Israel lives in a constant state of war. It's important for you and I to know because we need to pay attention to what's happening in Israel. It's one of the things that we can keep watch. Can I encourage you in this? Pray for that nation. How can we expect the leaders of this nation to bless Israel if you and I haven't uttered a word of prayer in years for the nation? 
I want to be a blessing to those people. I want to be a blessing to the nation because it's got God's heart. Reasons to keep watch. As we talked about last week, the significance of Roe versus Wade and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We find ourselves in 2022 in a year of Jubilee. A year of Jubilee has a couple of different functions scripturally. First of all, it's what you lost, you now get back. It is restored. The other side of it is what you took that doesn't belong to you is taken back from you. Abortion on demand began in 1970, most prominently in New York City. Roe versus Wade didn't pass until 1973. The plague, COVID, was brought upon this nation in 2020. 70 year, uh, 50 years at the 50-year mark of abortion being available on demand in New York. Life was taken through abortion, and life was taken back through the plague that we know as COVID-19 when the shutdowns and the quarantines occurred. The peak of the plague in New York, COVID-19, was April 9th and April 10th. Believe it or not, the vote to legalize abortion happened in New York on what do you think? April 9th and April 10th. 50 years before. Before the vote, abortion began in America in 1970 in the middle of March. Actually, it was the second week. It was also the second week, and I remember standing back here and doing a men's event. On a Saturday, we had, I don't know, it was a stakeout, but we were eating something, men. We were eating something, and, and the call came in. The governor just shut us down. Can't have church tomorrow. Men, was anybody there that day? Raise your hand if you were there that day. Do you remember how unhappy I was? <laughs> well, we stayed closed for, I think, three weeks. But at the end of the day, it was actually the second week of March that the national emergency was declared due to COVID-19. March 13th was the exact day that abortion began to be available on demand in 1970. Again, what you lost, you got back. And what you took that didn't belong to you will be taken from you. The nation decided, and it began in New York, to begin to take the lives of the unborn. And I know all of us felt in March of 2020, they can't do this. They can't take our lives. I can't go to work. I can't go to school. I can't go to church. I can't leave my house. It felt like my life as I knew it had been taken. There's another jubilee that's connected to 1973 when the law became nationwide in January 22nd of 1973 through Roe versus Wade. Now, the reason why this is important is because we are in that year. 2022, 50 years ago, the right to kill children was given to the nation, and 50 years later, it has been undone. I know they're still fighting, but how many of you guys know that that is a victory that echoes through the ages? Amen? <clears throat> Reasons to keep watch. We are in a year of jubilee that's connected to that decision. 
no matter what you think politically, no matter what you believe, the life of the unborn has been saved, and I'm so thankful. Now, let me give you another reason that we need to keep watch. In our society and in today's age, there are lines that are getting more and more blurry between the gospel and spiritualism. Watch this video. On Wednesday evening, the Israeli and Ukrainian presidents gathered for an official ceremony for the unveiling of a new interactive memorial, Crystal Wall of Crying, by world-renowned performance artist Marina Abramovic. The wall is meant to be a symbolic extension of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and incorporates crystals from the Ukraine and Brazil in an interactive installation. The 40-meter-long structure now stands in a park built over the site of the Babanyar Ravine. It's, it's a really wall for healing and it's a wall to remember and it's a wall to public to actually inter interact all the time. It's not something, I don't like monuments that you have the huge monument and you stand in the front and you look to the monument. It's just like your voyeur here. You have to touch, you have to interact, you have to turn and you have to, you know, confront yourself with yourself and your own memory. So it's a very different way of seeing, seeing art and seeing the, the monuments. The lines of spiritualism and occultism, Judaism, Christianity, all of them are becoming more and more blurry. The lady you just saw, Marina Abramovich, is a witch. She's a self-declared witch. On that little news article, if you saw uh, that little video, it, it talks about a world-renowned artist. Well, she does art with things. Blood, just figure it out. She's called in by celebrities and world leaders to do all types of occult practices and rituals. And here she is, called in by the Ukrainian president, this was a couple of years old, and the Israeli president. The scripture does tell us that the heart of the Jewish people is hard right now. The, the, the eyes are blinded. We, we, pray for, we pray for salvation. But at the end of the day, this is a perfect example. What she goes on to say is this is an extension of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. The crystals, white crystals from Brazil are brought in and they are easily programmable in the occult world. In other words, they do rituals and they do prayers, they do incantations over these crystals and connect energy to them. What they're doing is connecting a demonic force to that thing. And people are walking up and down this thing thinking, oh, we're doing a good thing praying. But what they're doing is inviting the enemy of their soul to come in. This new story is presented like, look what we've done. And now you find Ukraine in a constant state of war. At the end of the day, one of the reasons we've got to keep watch is, friends, it is not okay to just accept a partial gospel. Let me tell you, in Times 101, Jesus is the only way. Amen? 
You cannot just accept a part of the gospel. You've got to accept all of the gospel. And when we find ourselves saying, well, that makes sense, or I think that if it doesn't line up with the scriptures, it's out of line. Yeah? I'm telling you, when I watched this video, I just showed it to you. When I watched this video and I saw that lady, I said, oh, my goodness. Can you just imagine the people watching this news report and saying, oh, that's so nice. Look at this world-renowned artist that's come in. Let's go visit it this weekend and touch the crystals. No one has told them the truth. Reasons to keep watch. You and I need to know the truth and need to be able to share the truth when we're confronted with the lie. So, Another reason to keep watch is that we find ourselves, I believe wholly, that there is a pre-tribulation rapture of the church going to take place. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is one of those books hard to find, teeny tiny, there he is. I mean, my sword drill people. You guys remember sword drills? Who did sword drills? (laughs) apparently I didn't win at any of them this is a study Bible so (laughs) you passed it in like three pages like oh there it is go back okay first first Thessalonians now I'm in second Thessalonians okay first Thessalonians chapter four verse 13 but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We who are left alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede. What's precede mean? Before. Go before. Precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and a command and a voice of the archangel and with a sound of a trumpet. No, that doesn't mean sound of Donald Trump. (laughs) Decided to get it out there. (laughs) Want to say it, make sure there's no confusion. (sighs) (laughs) I'm just telling you what, I'll tell you right now, the people of God are desperate for hope and the people that don't know God are desperate for hope. But I'm just reminding you, our hope is in Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Where was I? (laughs) Okay. Oh, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Got that? Dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Tell your neighbor you're going to be caught up. <laughs> caught up. I tell you, I remember getting caught up by my parents from time to time. <laughs> Sometimes I needed to be caught up. Get over here. Where you at, Mom? There you are, Mom. Hey, Mom. She remembers that. Andrew. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
beginning in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. For this perishable body must be on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now, something I saw, uh, and I've talked about it before, but there's this thing called the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. So the rapture, I've always kind of been fascinated with what we're doing during the tribulation. What, what, do, what are the saints, what do the New Testament saints do? What do we do after we're caught up, after we're in the rapture? And, and I believe that, um, that we're going through an evaluation. You know, we don't have to go to the great white throne judgment, which is the separation from those who believe and those who don't. But we will have to go through the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, it is found, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, for we are each to be assigned or rewarded or given what we are due, what we do in the kingdom, for the sake of the kingdom. So there's something that I was drawing my attention to, is there's been a an idea that I've always kind of believed and I've just kind of accepted is what are the 24 elders in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5? Who are they? Well, they're around the throne. There's 24 of them. They have white robes and they sing this song about the blood of the lamb. They say in their song, in their worship, that they were bought by the blood of the lamb. So these people that are in heaven are believers. What that means is they're New Testament believers. And not just New Testament believers, but church age believers. So a fun activity that I kind of went through is I said, okay, I've always believed that that's the 12 apostles and the 12 patriarchs from the Old Testament. But I don't think it's the patriarchs because I believe that the Old Testament saints are somewhere else. And I'll show you that in a second. So if it's the 12 apostles, let's assume that it's the 12 apostles because they're awesome. They did what they were called to do. Who else is it? So I started thinking. I was talking to Victor and Linda about it. And I said, okay, how about John G. Lake? He was, had a healing ministry. How about Smith Wigglesworth? He, he had a miracles ministry. How about, how about William Seymour who was at Azusa Street? How about these heroes of the faith? But you know what? Have you ever heard it said that sometimes we'll be shocked who makes it into heaven and who doesn't? I think the 24 elders might be a surprise to us because who we think made it may not be in the circle at all. I certainly do believe, at least today, <laughs> and let me remind you that these are things that don't keep us out of heaven. These are things that St. Augustine says in Essentials Unity in non-essentials, liberty, and all things love. So you're either giving me liberty or you're loving me right now. Okay, either one. I don't know 
who they are, but I don't believe they're Old Testament saints. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read further about what happens to people that die in Christ. In other words, New Testament or New Covenant saints. To be absent from the body is to be present, finish it, with the Lord. So as soon as we go from this life to the next, we are present with Jesus. So what about the Old Testament? So we look at these 24 elders, and they're singing, and they're singing about the blood. So I believe they're believers. It's one of the things that I think is a nod to the rapture. Because time, as soon as the rapture occurs, we're outside of space and time like God is. We don't have our Apple watch on in heaven. We, we're not keeping, keeping mark of what's going on, right? It, it, we become, in essence, eternal, which is also timeless. And so God and God alone will say, okay, guys, it's time to line back up. Second coming is, is you know, we're going down for the millennial reign. So the New Testament saints, when they die, they're present with the Lord. These 24 elders also have something interesting. They have crowns. The scripture says that they lay crowns at his feet. So there are many crowns that are spoken of in scripture, but I have five that are promised. There's the crown of life for those that suffered for Jesus. There's a crown of righteousness for those who loved him. There's a crown of glory for those who fed the flock. There's a crown incorruptible for those who pressed on steadfastly. And finally, there's the crown of rejoicing for those who won souls. Now, that's five crowns. There's probably a lot more. But the reason why I bring that up is those crowns are given to those living in the church age and so they're believers. Now, would you allow me to um, just give you one quick more thing about the rapture? If the rapture doesn't occur until the end, which is Armageddon, then we've got a problem. You know, there's, there's a mid-trib idea, and then there's a post-trib idea. Here's the problem. How many of you guys have ever tried to change clothes really fast? So we got to go up in glorified bodies and do a changeover real quick. Basically, you know, you've got, I know it's silly to think about, but it is like a holy U-turn. It's like, okay, rapture, guys, put your robes on real quick, get in line, here we go. <laughs> right? In Revelation chapter 19, we see the saints, the armies of heaven are the saints. So for me, it'd be hard to squeeze the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, in before we turn around and go back to Armageddon with Jesus. You with me? There's quite a few people, while we're outside of space and time, there's still some time that needs to happen for those things to transpire. Now, at the end of all of that, we see the Old Testament saints. If you'll allow me, I'd just like to share five minutes about where I think they are. You with me? Nobody left, so I'm thinking you're allowing me. Luke chapter 16, is a parable. Now, when Jesus teaches parables, he uses generic 
language. He doesn't talk specifics when he's talking about people. He'll talk about the good Samaritan. He'll talk about the, uh, the lady with the lost coin. He'll talk about uh, the, the farmer the, who scatters the seed. We, he talks about these things, but this parable is different. He names somebody. This parable is the rich man and Lazarus. So the reason why I think Luke 16 is different because I think we can extrapolate or we can come to the conclusion that Jesus is teaching us something doctrinally, not using this as an example for another practical form of life. You with me? So if the question is, where's the Old Testament saints? Jesus is saying it right here. In the Old Testament, you've got words that describe the afterlife. There's a word called Hades. There's a word called Sheol. These are words that speak. Sheol speaks of the whole. Hades speaks of the bad place. Paradise in this context, in this parable, is what Jesus attributes to the good place. So everybody in the Old Testament that died end up in one of two places. I don't believe in soul sleep. I don't think they're not awake. They're either in Hades, which according to Luke 16 is a bad place and it's hot and it's bad. It's no fun. There's a great chasm that separates it. And on the other side, it's paradise. He looks to the thief and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. How? I think it's 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 18, the scripture tells us that Jesus goes down into the pit. He goes down and preaches to the souls in captivity. They're in the holding place. They're in Abraham's bosom, the paradise. They're in this good side. And here's, I'm going I'm to leap to something. I've heard a lot of, you probably have heard a lot, read books and stuff like that. Unbelievers that die go into comas and stuff and they share their experience. What they share is terror. And when they wake back up, many, many have even come to faith because I don't want to do that again. I was alone. I, I, I felt completely by myself it was it was scary it was fearful it was I heard screams you hear all of these things described but when the saint dies and they come back they describe something completely different what they describe is there was light I felt at peace Jesus came and got me right now Psalm 23 talks about Yea, that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Your rod and your staff comfort me. I will feel no evil, right? That whole passage. So what we find here is Jesus being the guide, the grab me by the hand, let's go kind of thing. Now, if that is hard for you to grasp, then it's okay. But let me remind you that he's God, right? So I believe Old Testament saints... In paradise, Jesus goes down. He says, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to take captivity captive. In other words, I've come to, hey, guys, now you can come up here. <laughs> Let's go, right? The ones that aren't believers, the ones that, aren't, um, that haven't chosen God, they're still in that holding place until the end, the great right throne judgment. Now, all that being said, 
It's not necessarily prophecy. It's more of a, to me, a compelling idea that there's only New Testament saints in heaven right now or up until the cross, and then after the cross, they're joined in heaven. Now, there's a new evil alliance. Another reason to keep watch. A new evil alliance recently, Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, not North Korea, but China, Iran, and Russia got together and held hands and took pictures. Because now they're strategically putting their uh, efforts into one basket to become a world power. I don't know if you know this, but Jerusalem is the geographical center of the world. This is why Israel matters, right? So when it says east, what is that east of? Jerusalem. When it says west, what is that west of? It's Jerusalem. So it's amazing to me that even though they try to take Christ out of B.C. and A.D., they call it B.C.E. and whatever the other one is. Anyway, they try to take God out of so many things. What's east of Jerusalem is still east, and what's west of Jerusalem is still west, and that's how God designed it. Because when the new Jerusalem comes, it's going to sit right there in the center of it all. Now, all that being said, there's a new evil alliance the scripture tells us that there is, uh, let's see if I can find the right one. Revelation, there's a, uh, there's a judgment or, or one of the uh, prophecies. It's this great army of 200 million that comes down from the east, from the north. This army that comes and overtakes Israel. I'm going to read something to you. The most stagger, it's a most staggering statistic to think of this many to think of the number of horsemen that was declared to be 200,000 thousand or 200 million. That's a lot. Never in, his, never in the history of a human race until now has there been an army of this size. The total number of men under arms in World War II on every side was 50 million. As of a, time ar a Times article... In 1965, it is said to that, quote, Red China alone claims to have men and women, a men and women militia engaging in serious training, numbering 200 million. So when you think of this huge number of the army that God declares in Revelation will be sent forth and given power to kill a third of the world, Today, we must keep watch because that number is not unattainable. It's actually now focused in even one nation, China. When you think of the colors that the scripture lays out, the red, the blue, the gold, that it speaks of these horses in Zechariah, I believe it is, these colors that line up with the nations that are aligning themselves. One of the greatest things that prophecy says is that the river Euphrates is going to be dried up. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, and I haven't, if you want to send me, I'll go. The Euphrates is not this little wonky creek. 
This is a tributary. This is a river that flows throughout the entire Middle East and feeds many nations. But there was a side-by-side picture I saw recently of 2006 and today, a 15-year time span, uh, that was staggering. All you have to do is Google it, and you'll see dirt beds with cracked uh, sand that the Euphrates is quickly becoming smaller and smaller. Reasons to keep watch. I'm going to give you a little exercise here. I think this will be fun. All right. Just read this. Israeli intelligence discovered that Egypt was concentrating large-scale forces in the Sinai Peninsula. United United Nations emergency forces stationed on the border between Egypt and Israel was evacuated at the demand of Egypt's president. During the night, the the Egyptian Navy has blockaded the straits into the Indian Ocean, prohibiting passage of Israeli ships. Jordan is joining in the alliance and placing its armies under Egyptian control. Iraq has already followed suit. Military detachments from other Arab nations are signing on. By the end of this month, Israel will be confronted with a Muslim force of over 465,000 troops, 2,880 tanks, 810 fighter aircraft, all along its borders in a matter of days. They are saying that we will drive them into the sea. This is the war of 1967. This didn't just happen. So if you're listening to the news in 1967 and you don't have your head on straight and you understand that I have reasons to keep watch and my faith is in Jesus and in Christ alone, I'm telling you, if I was watching this in 1967, I turned on the news, I'd be, it's happening. I got to go to Costco. I don't go to Sam's. I do Costco. I know I'm bougie like that. (laughs) Right? What if this was the headline tomorrow morning? That 500,000 Arab troops are on the border of Israel. That's how quickly things can change. And if that doesn't convince you the end is near, then here's what happened. They lined all this up, and it took Israel about this long to beat them all. That's when they took the Gaza Strip. That's when they took the Sinai Desert. That's when they took, um, let's see, what was the other area? They took these lands, the Sinai Desert, the Golan Heights, and the Gaza Strip. That's when they won all of that property. Uh, And Jerusalem, and they established Jerusalem. Listen, all of these things in 1967, by the way, it was right after they were established in 48, right? 48. And they even had, they, somebody even attacked them like a day later. <laughs> no, you can't do that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It brings it all back to this. Israel matters. You want to know what God's going to do next? Watch Israel. Now, we've talked again and again and again. And I've talked to you about the Ark of the Covenant I've talked to you about all these things. 
And I was watching the video today because it popped up. Ark of the Covenant might be found. <gasps> Watch that. <laughs> this little rabbi gets on there and says, yeah, listen. We know the story of the guy who touched the Ark of the Covenant. So we decided we're just not going to look for it anymore. <laughs> I was like, that's a smart guy right there. <laughs> I'm not trying to fall, have it fall over and try to catch it. Anyway, <laughs> that was great. I want to end uh, on a high note, but let me go through another reason to keep watch. Population control. Population control. Talked about the Georgia Guidestones last time we were together and talked to you about the number that was on there, 500 million. Today, I learned that from 1970 to 1993, the World Health Organization had a project that they were working on. And when you read the documents, it says fertility vaccine. It says it in the documents. Yet it's called a tetanus shot. But for these 20 years, they were developing this under the direction of somebody. And they were allowed to come into Kenya and Nairobi and experiment on women. Let us give you the tetanus shot because this is a real problem. And they didn't find out what was going on until 3 million women had been injected with this quote-unquote tetanus vaccine that actually was a fertility vaccine. Some doctors, whistleblowers, found out what was going on. People began to understand because that was such, such a long period of time what was happening. And what they had done is they figured out a way to put uh, something called beta-HCG. It is the compounder. It is the thing that when a woman becomes pregnant, it releases that, um, I don't know what the word is, it releases this thing and tells the woman's body to create progesterone. Progesterone, that's the word. <laughs> Progestasone. Baby health stuff, all right? Population control. So what happened is they put a stop to it. They got caught. They put a stop to it. And I was telling Anthony about it earlier today, and my timeline was a little off, but they put a stop to it. And the doctor that found it out, he said, anytime a vaccine comes out, I'm going to tell the people of Kenya about it. I'm going to find out what's in it. I'm going to figure it out. Because they found out Catholic bishops got some of the vaccine and took it to a lab and found this beta HCG in it and told the people about it and they stopped. Well, the doctor died. Of course, you know what's happening. So they came back around in 2013 under a different name, but this thing is still present and it's causing infertility and now they've moved to the villages and they have vaccine parties. And they're going to these tribal villages and these young ladies and they're giving them these vaccines and they're getting, here's some beads, make a necklace. By the way, here's a vaccine for tetanus. It's happening in Kenya and Nairobi, but it's also moved to 65 developing countries all under the guise of tetanus or vaccinations. <sighs> Which brings me to our end tonight, there's a very real evil in the world.
So the final thing I want to bring to you is this idea of the mark of the beast. That when I was growing up, the movies that I saw, Thief in the Night, so scary. <sighs> the song still, there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Woo! Still gets me every time. I could do an altar call right now and have all of y'all up here. <laughs> if you're not sure, <laughs> the line that would always get me, a train could hit you going home tonight. Like, I don't even go by any train tracks, but I'm coming up there. <laughs> I want to make sure. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sorry. The mark of the beast may not look like anything. The days of the barcode tattooed on your hand and your forehead are behind us. No matter how many, tattoo, how, how many tattoos you have already, I mean, it's just, those are behind us. The chips, microchip, mic, microchips and stuff like that, they're, they're a reality. The little uh, pill-sized looking things they can stick in your, they're already doing it in some companies in some weird European nations. Anyway, they're doing it. I, I, I believe... The scriptures talk about loyalty. It talks about a commitment. It talks about the mark on their hand and on their forehead, but it talks about being loyal to the beast in his image. It talks about being loyal, worshiping the beast in his image. It talks about your spirit. And the scripture says your hand and your forehead, and that certainly could be something. But can I tell you? that when your mind has chosen to worship, there's a mark, right? When you're, what you do and what you think determines who you are. You with me? What you do and what you think determines who you're devoted to. So it might just simply be you are devoted, therefore you're not making noise. And if you are making noise and you are not falling into line, then guess what? They're going to know, they're meaning the one world government, hey, why don't you go ahead and tell us that you're loyal to the government? Why don't you go ahead and tell us that you're loyal to our leader? No, I'm loyal to Jesus. All right, off with your head. That's, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. So the mark may be something physical, but I believe that it's simpler than that. I believe it's spiritual. Because I believe that the mark that we carry is a spiritual one. The scripture says that we are sealed by the Spirit. Right? Ephesians 1.14. The seal of ownership upon your heart and my heart that we are children of God. That we have chosen to follow Jesus. That is a spiritual marker. And guess what? It's a marker that the devil can see and recognize. Because when you walk around, you are protected by the Most High God. Amen? And if we're in a spiritual war, and during the time of tribulation, the whole spirit realm is heightened, can I just tell you this thing? That the reason why the United States struggles as it does in this spiritual way is because we're not used to spirituality. 
You, you, you go to villages and you go to nations and you go to other areas. Tribe, there's, there's a witch doctor that lives in that hut. And then there's a, there's a witch over there cursing people. And then there's a missionary over here that we keep trying to kill, but we can't because he's protected by angels. And they talk about it just like they're going to Chick-fil-A or something. We, we really don't have that. And can I tell you that's a scheme of the devil? To keep some of those things in the shadows? So people don't think that the devil's involved, but he is. So I, I believe when I talk about the mark of the beast, it's just I want to share that with you that I think it may just be a, a, a loyalty with my mind and with my hands. I've committed myself to this. But for the believer today, your mark is the Holy Spirit. And we need to, we need to walk in that. And we need to thank God for that. I'm telling you right now, thank God. You've been bought with a price. You are owned by the Most High, and he will protect his stuff. <laughs> Amen? Second Amendment's a big thing in the nation. Don't come in my house and take my stuff or else. God doesn't need a Second Amendment to protect his stuff. But the devil is on notice. Don't come and touch my stuff. <laughs> Amen? Man, I like that. That's fun. All right, bow your heads and pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for loving us enough to die for us, even in all of our mistakes and our sin and our filth. You loved us. Thank you, Jesus. Today, I declare for myself that I'm fully committed with my mind and with my work to you. And I pray that each one in here tonight would have that same commitment. Protect us as we go. May you, be, may you bless our week and give us favor in everything that we put our hands to. In Jesus' name, say amen. You like you mean it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a five-star rating and review. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to Pastor's Prophecy Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you'd like to hear more from Greater Life Church, including our Sunday morning services, go to our website, greaterlife.church.